you know, kind of hearing him talk about, you know, the teams as the thing that was the draw because that's what people are looking for in their golf within a com- another competition is a, a little ridiculous. Um, I, 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 think. Don't, I don't, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. I, I don't buy it. I think it's a gimmick, right? I think the thing that appeals. You do, you golf, tell me you're not going to be a fan of the niblicks. You're going to no. be all over the niblicks. You're going to be wearing niblick hats. No, no, no. And here's oh, why. Stingers. Welcome to Wait What? Sports Biz Chat with DP and McGee. This is the podcast where we take a slightly unique look at the business of sports, sometimes irreverent, sometimes cynical, and on occasion even serious. I'm your co-host, David Paro. And I'm Tim McGee. So, partner, we've made it to 30 episodes. Wow. We've been heard in 23 countries on five continents. But Still, no time to slow down and rest on such lofty laurels since the sports biz news keeps coming at us in torrents. So, Tim, what is on your mind? Well, I think this is one of those times we want to take a sometimes serious look at the world of sports. We lost a true legend over the weekend. That term is often overused, but Bill Russell died uh, peacefully at the age of 88. I, uh, I can by no means say I knew him, but I did meet him and did an event with him and um, you know I just felt like I was in the presence of greatness at that point no doubt about it absolute giant um, so many people have uh, you know built on what he he has done uh, one of those guys that changed the game right the way he played particularly on the defensive end um, completely changed the way the game uh, you know was uh, was run uh, up and down the floor and so forth and and it started moving things outside but what has been great is just people talking so much about his um, you know what he contributed in other ways um, and and like you I, I have not met him in person uh, but have been around quite a few people that have and, and always just talk about just that you know it's one of those experiences that you meet a guy that, that contributed so much to the game um, and well, well beyond that. If you're a cer- of a certain age, as we are, um, you probably remember Red on Round Ball, where uh, Red Auerbach would do a halftime feature on uh, some aspect of the game of basketball. And my good friend Paul Peterson, shout out to Paul, um, sent me the clip from Red on Round Ball with Bill, Bill Russell and uh, Bob McAdoo talking about the uh, science and it was a science when bill russell did it uh, shot blocking mm-hmm. um, and it just brought me back to my childhood to, to watch that at that point russell had had retired and was coaching the supersonics but um and and bob mcadoo was a uh, was a superstar for the uh, buffalo braves yeah I remember <laughs> that but uh it's you know part of your childhood dies when somebody like that passes and the world's lost a, a legend right i was watching a clip of Bill Russell speaking with Kobe. Uh, It's probably in an all-star game or something. And Russell was talking about the way he sized up competition. I think it was, you know, something to that effect Um, and watched where people were going and and kind of their attitude and so forth. And Kobe said, yeah, that's what I do. And because Russell was saying, I notice you kind of do that. 
And Kobe said, yeah, he goes, I learned that from reading your book, which I just thought was, and you could see that Russell was just thought that was really cool. Yeah. Um, that Kobe read it meant something to, um, to Bill Russell. And, and just so we don't like gloss over, uh, it, it, there's so many stats you can, you can point to about his greatness, but something that uh, I saw that Bob Ryan, uh, the legendary sports columnist from Boston, it, it, his final 14 seasons as a basketball player, um, his teams participated in 21 winner take all contests. Nine of them NCAA tournament games, one Olympic gold medal game, 10 game sevens, and one deciding game five. And he won all 21. I was going to cite that same statistic, but uh, isn't that incredible? And it speaks it's, to his leadership. And, and listen, he played on some phenomenal teams, but his leadership um, just speaks volumes. That, that statistic speaks volumes. Yeah, I mean, he'd become the first African-American coach, you know, when he was doing it as a player coach, didn't win the championship in his in his first outings as coach. In fact, broke that streak that he had eight consecutive uh, titles, uh, but then came back and won two for his last two. Uh, to me, that's actually even more remarkable um, that they they stuck with him, that he stuck with it because it couldn't be. I mean, he he's coaching guys that were his guys, right? All of a sudden right. he goes from player to coach. And that's a very different dynamic. But um, I think he, he obviously had it in him to be that kind of a uh, uh, kind of a leader. And, you know, it um, it shows it's been interesting to see comments by guys like uh, Bob Cousy, you know, talking about, you know, I probably should have understood him better when I played side by side. And I, you know, um, because of the things that he was going through that people, mm-hmm. I guess, just didn't want to hear. Right. Just didn't want to hear. And still today, sometimes we don't want to hear these things. Yeah, he played at a time and in a place, you know, Boston at that time was the most segregated city in the North, right? And he and his teammates faced challenges that you heard about that some baseball players would face in in, uh, in spring training playing down South in Florida. Right. It's just, you know, and, and this is in our lifetime, right? That, uh, you know, that, that or at least of our generation that, that he – he and his teammates went through that. And, uh, you know, listen, Bob Cousy reminds me of a lot of my older relatives, right? It comes from a certain time and a certain upbringing where you didn't necessarily think too much about those types of things because you weren't really exposed to it. Now, he was. He, he certainly saw it. Uh, but uh, it's nice that he said that. Absolute, uh, absolute legend for sure. And um, definitely uh, lost a great ambassador for the game and for um, – so many other issues. Oh, one thing I wanted to add: his reputation was he was surly guy, right? Because a lot of what he did mm-hmm. was kind of turn inward and just focus on his teammates. He didn't always thank the city and so forth, but he did kind of have that bond with people. And of course, the media and various other people took it as he was the you know the surly black guy, right? Um, which not he was not unlike Ted Williams in that way, right? Another legendary Boston athlete. Uh, Ted Williams did not have to put up with the racism, Mm -hmm. but he had a horrible relationship with the media um, that lasted in many ways till his death because he felt he was being treated unfairly. And, and, you know, I I wasn't around. I I assume that he was treated unfairly, but he didn't experience anything like what Bill Russell did. Let's move on to, uh, move on to the next topic, a record crowd of over 87,000 people. Uh, were in attendance at Wembley 
this weekend for England's 2-1 victory over Germany in the final of the Women's Euros 2022. Largest ever for a men's or women's match in the history of the Euro tournament. I mean, that's just amazing. So on BBC One, BBC One. (laughs) Wait, what? Not BBC Two. No, no. You're uh, BBC One. You disappointed me. I, I, wait, I thought no, you I'm, were going to go into your Austin Powers. I'm Austin Powersing right now, but I didn't want to do. <laughs> and you're a singer. But on, BB, be- on BBC, on BBC, right? On BBC One, 17.5 million people watched. That's a that's a super strong number. And I think, I think and one of our listeners will probably tell me if I'm wrong. I believe the population of Great Britain is 30 million. The, I'm going to, I'm going to self check. The, 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 the tune in factor and the, well, it's just women's soccer. We're not going to watch it. Uh, obviously we're in a new place. The attendance, obviously it's I'm a sorry. special event. What I'm happens? sorry. It was 58 million. Oh, okay. I just wanted to, I just wanted to fact check myself. So I apologize. So, I stepped all over your line. Did you give? Did you give like full UK or GB? What what what's your number that you're quoting there? I, I wrote population because, because we're I, very popular over there. So we got population right. of Great Britain is about fifty eight million, okay. uh, and that includes uh, English, England, Scotland, and Wales. So okay. fifty eight million. Thanks for thanks for correcting that. Anyway. You know, listen, we we have talked a good amount on this show about the opportunities that are starting to present themselves on the in women's sports uh, and the growth in certain areas. And, uh, you know, certainly this this is this was big and there was a lot of talk value. It wasn't just that people, you know, were at the stadium, but obviously they tuned in and people seemed to care. And what does that mean? It means for the next generation of of women playing um you know there are going to be more opportunities there are going to be bigger stages for them to play that means hopefully more brands become associated with them more opportunity for money and commerce across um uh, the women's side of the business and to me being in this business you know what that's good that's a good thing yeah beyond uh, beyond the equity part which in and of itself is a good thing and and it was just fantastic soccer to watch right i mean England leading most of the way, then going to extra time. Germany had a had a brain fart, I guess, for lack of a better term, on that set piece in the 110th minute, where uh, Chloe Kelly got two two whacks at it, and finally put it on, put it in, um, and then channeled her inner uh, Randy Chastain. If you watch, yes. was it just me, or was half of the English team ponytailed blondes? You didn't notice that? I, well, the, it looked it, like every suburban woman in the mall near me. Merely an observation. Right. I will say this, observationally speaking, because the Germans were a little annoyed. They thought there was a handball. It was not. It was not. It was the right call. I don't mm-hmm. know if you caught that, but a um, lot of a uh, lot of upset people on the on the German side of that. Listen, it was great for great for football, great for women's football, and great for the lionesses. Let's hope the men's side doesn't. Uh, take that and run with it uh when they meet our american team in uh, the day well, i think the, i think the i think the odds are is that the u.s and the and uh, the lions come out of that uh, or out of that group um but who knows i guess we will have to wait that's why world cup is the event that it is so what else you got so let's talk a little bit of uh american football right so first of all uh kyler murray no longer responsible for doing homework 
So the good news is that's going to free him up for a lot more fraternity activities, apparently. Uh, apparently, we uh, gave that so much coverage that, uh, that yeah, they needed we'll to make we'll, a change to that. Right. On, on a more serious note, the Cleveland Browns seem to have rolled the dice and won um, with regards to Deshaun Watson, at least for now. He was, uh, was widely believed that he was going to be suspended for an entire season. And in fact, he was suspended for six games. Now, he has the opportunity to appeal. And Commissioner Goodell has the ability to hand down his own punishment. But just to give you some sense of uh, sort of the scope of the crime, the, you know, the, the severity, Calvin Ridley, who gambled last year, not on his own team, but, but placed some bets, is suspended for the entire season. And Tom Brady, who not a fan of simply because I'm a Jets fan, but he was given four games for his role in Deflategate. So it would seem to me that, you know, deflating balls and being credibly accused by 25 women of sexual misconduct, I don't know if it's 50% worse, right? Right. This is an interesting one. The Browns have said, and Deshaun Watson has said, they're not planning on appealing. I think they were pretty ecstatic with the six-game suspension. Uh, But there is a good chance that Goodell decides to increase it because that's what their recommendation was. I mean, this is what this was a unique situation because a lot of times people say, well, it has to move out of the commissioner's office to get a, you know, to get a fair um, judgment on something. And that's what they did in this case. They had this um, uh, this other judge um, come down with this ruling. And despite the things that were said in the reading of that ruling, it did seem like a light penalty. Shall we say? So I do think that most people tend to be a little surprised. Now, the flip side of that is, is he was cleared or at least they they didn't follow through on charges on the criminal side of this. Uh, So these were matters of uh, civil cases that were come up that he that he did settle. And there was so much that started coming out that definitely showed that this was not normal um, type of behavior and that these uh, these accusations were indeed uh, coming credibly, they were uh, they were consistent. Um, so uh, I would not be surprised at all if this week they do extend this. Um, but we will uh, we will have to see. I do want to go back on the on the Kyler Murray thing. You know, we kind of had we had a little bit of fun with that um, last week because it was such a it was a surprising thing to hear. Uh, and the Cardinals really have I think looked bad on this, and they've come out mm-hmm. and. Both tried to explain it, but at the same time, you know, recognize that it may not have been a good look. I respect what Kyler Murray did in coming out as strongly and calling his own press conference and, you know, saying, listen, I, I didn't get to where I am today because I don't take this game seriously. Because that was obviously, you know, you know, how people were extending this this clause in there that he that he had to be watched over for the simplest mm-hmm. of things. Again, I, I don't know where this came from. It seems to me and and what what ownership said was that it was just such a big investment they wanted to make sure that you know that he was on top of this stuff but um so i i you know we'll we'll see but it's out now and um you know hopefully we'll move on and we'll see if these type of things ever pop up again in the future probably not no i think uh i think teams learn their lesson from the cardinals and this is breaking news just as we just as we uh started recording i don't know if you saw it Um, because you're always a lot busier preparing for this podcast than I am. Uh, But uh, where's my phone? The NFL has uh, taken two draft picks away from the Miami Dolphins, right? A first round in 23 
and a second round in 24. They have fined the club 1.5 million and suspended Steve Ross through October 17th uh, for the team's role Wait, in camp- what? Yeah, for the uh, for the team's uh, tampering with with uh, Tom Brady. Now, this is not related, at least is directly, it? to the lawsuit that Brian Flores has oh has uh, filed. But it is somewhat related because I believe in in telling his story, he 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 alluded to the fact that they were tampering in in a free agent situation which turned out to be brady and now the the league has come down on steve ross and the miami dolphins club well that is significant um not messing around um uh, very very significant so uh, that will be a a story that'll be interesting um on other nfl news uh, i got a kick out of this uh they announced that um, amazon on the thursday night games uh will be doing a uh, not on every game it doesn't appear uh a partnership with Dude Perfect. You're a Dude Perfect guy, right? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, of course. I mean, <laughs> you know, for those listeners that don't know, Dude Perfect are basically, they they were trick shot guys. They just did cool content that people, and they um, they amassed a huge following. So there's going to be a partnership and basically a, a, a simulcast or a separate uh, broadcast. They'll take the feed, of course, from the, from the Amazon games, but have a a different way to view this and it'll be they'll do it out of their studio in texas but they will have one of their dudes at the games uh, on the sideline doing what i don't know yet but i i mean you, you know listen as a as an older guy um you know my first reaction was a little bit like oh gosh they're they're going in weird directions but i but i also remember like when cbs was doing their nickelodeon uh, game I thought it was fantastic. And this is the type of thing that we're going to need to see. Uh, you know, credit to these guys for building the kind of following they have and creating content that people want to uh, engage with in all kinds of channels. I, I honestly can't wait to see what they do. And I'll, I'll give it a shot and uh, we'll see if it helps build the audience or keep a younger audience. I think they'll be hard pressed to be funnier than Peyton and Eli Manning. That's just me. But I do too. I, I mean, because those guys are funny, but, it, you know, we're not necessarily their their hardcore audience either. So no. the, the fact is, we're now creating. We're we're now being given choices with how we want to view this, and uh, you know, I think all in all, that's a good thing. Yeah, I think. Listen, it, I I think anybody it could who, suck. It could be completely stupid. We'll see. Yeah, but no, you know, nothing ventured, nothing gained. Right. right? No guts, no glory. Whatever you want to say. Right. But I think, you know, the same old, same old, just is not going to cut it for the next generation of sports fans. Right. And and, you know, to the extent that, you know, you're losing that generation, you want to stem that tide and making it relevant to them and giving, you know, giving them content and announcers and commentators that appeal to that generation. I'm all for that. Right. Um, you know, it may not we're not the target audience. Right. 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 Because we're going to watch football regardless. It's, it's the people with the short attention spans, the younger people who have found other lifestyle interests and things that they're going to try to attract and appeal to. But I agree. I agree about the uh, Nickelodeon thing. I thought that was really cool. A couple of other things we can cover, if you don't mind. Uh, It looks like after nearly 10 years, right, NYCFC is going to find a home in New York City. I've been following that since the beginning because that was uh, one of my working, uh, doing a project for City Football Group was one of the first things I did when I went out on my own. And, you know, coincidentally, that was the site that they had originally had their 
sights on, right? Um, and so they've sort of come full circle that for those of you who don't know, uh, NYCFC owned by City Football Group that owns Man City and a bunch of other clubs around the world. Uh, they've been playing their home matches, as most of you probably know, in, in Yankee Stadium. They've always wanted to be within the five boroughs of New York City, and now they found a site uh, not far from City Field in, in the borough of Queens. So um, kudos to City Football Group and the NYCFC guys. Um, because quite honestly, I did not like the viewing experience in Yankee Stadium, right? The American soccer fan has become sophisticated enough to know what a good viewing experience is like. And, you know, uh, 45 years ago, if you went to Yankee Stadium and you got to watch Pele and Giorgio Canalia and Shep Messing and the rest of the New York Cosmos, you know, you didn't know any better. But now if you're an MLS fan or an NYCFC supporter, um, the sight lines are terrible. The, the, pitch layout, uh, the branding, all of those things just left a lot to be desired. And, and listen, the, the club knew that. That was, not, that was not a secret. You know, there had been a site identified for a club called Queensboro FC, which was going to be in the USL championship uh, division. So kind of a second tier down from, from MLS, but not directly affiliated. Um, that was, I, I, that had great branding and a great concept and were, uh, you know, we're building an, an organization. I, 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 when I heard this news about NYCFC uh, moving to Queens, what that was going to do. Um, you know, Queens, the, the beauty of New York City overall, and certainly Queens, it has this unbelievable diverse population um, as, a, as a location, place to live, place to grow up, place to eat. Um, it's amazing that way. Uh, and I think that was a big piece of the why uh, that, that, Queensboro FC was was even building there, and I think a really good reason, uh, or one of the good reasons, for NYCFC to locate uh, to locate there. I, I think they have a chance of having building their following extremely strong. Yeah, it's not that difficult to draw from Westchester and Southern Connecticut when you're looking at that part of Queens. For those of you who are familiar with the layout of New York City, but it it does make it a lot easier to get people from Long Island, which is you know Mecca not necessarily in the quality of soccer, although I'm sure there are great clubs out there, but just the sheer number of players and fans right. on Long Island. I, I think it will be interesting in the New York metro area where it's kind of split between the Red Bulls and, uh, and NYCFC. Um, you know, will this line of, you know, demarcation set that geographic basis of, of, the, of the fandom? Soccer is a little unique in that regard and that you could just love the game and, and want to participate in it. Um, but, uh, this, this, there was always a little bit of an odd overlap, even though they're obviously natural rivals and MLS wants that to be a natural rivalry. So we'll see. Despite never playing in New York, right. Playing and training in New Jersey, um, the New York Red Bulls have always sort of identified themselves as a New York club. And a lot of their fans do come from New York. Um, so, but you know, I don't, you know, it won't change the Derby here in New York. No, correct. And Jer listen, Jersey is a great soccer state as well, and they certainly sure. pull from the whole Newark area. Um, so, and they, by the way, they're and the Red Bulls, Red Bull Arena is a fantastic soccer-specific venue. I think. Yeah, it is. You know, it is in the mold of the of the traditional European football field, and and with the uh, with the pitch open to the elements, but everybody uh, in the stands covered. Um, great amenities. Uh, yeah, it's a great experience. It's twelve years old and seems to be holding up pretty well it's funny when you know 12 years old was still considered a new venue and now it's uh, you know halfway through its expected life and then sorry right. listen um before we 
uh, welcome our guest in. Uh, I think we have a little time to take up a topic that we've talked about quite a bit, and that's the latest on Live Golf. We we hit on the fact that Charles Barkley was supposed to make a decision last week. He said he was going to, and he did. He is a man of his word. He is not going to work for Live Golf and Greg Norman. Um, he is um, he is staying put where he is, but he uh, he handled it actually quite well. He went. I don't even know if he ever got an offer. He didn't say he actually got an offer, uh, but I think if he was going to go, I mean, there was there was an offer there to be had. You know, he took a look and he decided he'd, he'll probably play in programs, but he wished everybody well. Handle it, handle it like the pro that he is. So in, in other live news, and there's always other live news, right? It, we had talked about this, gosh, maybe a month or two ago. Uh, the Tiger turned down a huge sum of money. Now uh, that amount is being reported as between 700 and $800 million to play in live golf. That's a lot of money for anybody to turn down, even a billionaire. And then he doubled down after saying no by coming out strongly in opposition to Live Golf. So good on Tiger uh, for that. But sort of more business-related news: they announced that they're going to start a team competition next year, right? Twelve teams, right? Fourteen tournament league, right? With 150 million dollars in prize money. So to me, that smacks a little of a gimmick. Um, well, they're doing they're they're having this team bit now they're trying to get people accustomed to this and and i actually watched some of the interview with bubba watson when he when they interviewed him during the first round of the uh of the live tournament from new jersey this past weekend and he talked about his son loving the team concept and that he already knew all the names of the team now I would bet some money on that, not the kind of money the Tiger got, that that was a line. And these, you know, the lines are pretty consistent with what they're what they're saying. Um, but they're getting their message to these guys. They have to say these things talking about growing golf. They all talk about growing golf. The team concept that does have a chance to, I suppose, grow golf. And they're saying that they're going to bring sponsorship and the owners of those teams will have the ability to market as teams. I, I don't get how that's going to work. Uh, from a from a traditional sense, since it's all controlled by an entity, and kind of hearing him talk about you know the teams is the thing that was the draw because that's what people are looking for in their golf. Within a co- another competition is a, a little ridiculous. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't buy, it. I don't buy it. I, I I don't buy it. I think it's a gimmick, right? I think the thing that appeals you do, you golf- tell me you're not going to be a fan of the niblicks. You're going to no. be all over the niblicks. You're going to be wearing niblick hats. No, no, no. And here's oh, why. Stingers? No, here's why. Here's why. <laughs> what makes competitions like the Walker Cup, the Solheim Cup, the Ryder Cup so appealing is because they're unique, right? You have one competition a year or every other year, right? You don't it's not the it's not the norm. That's I I, I just people like golf because guys are competing against themselves and against the field as opposed to, you know, what are they going to do next? Best ball scramble. I mean, you know, you got to, you know, you're, you got to carry two, they got to use two of your drives in 18 hole. I mean, I, I, you know, it sounds like an outing at the, that's the knock, you know, that's the knock right now that it's exhibition golf. And that's what the, you know, world rankings are going to world golf rankings are going to have to decide as to whether or not they're counting these events uh, at a certain point right now. They're 54 hole 
tournaments. I mean, live is based on the number 54, so I don't see that changing. They're running shotgun starts. It's a very different environment uh, than what normal golf tournaments are scored on. So uh, we don't know if the world ranking, if the world golf rankings does not accept these uh, results and they factor obviously into um, majors, you know, some of these players are going to have to probably think twice about doing it. It is kind of interesting because you you mentioned Ryder Cup and Henrik Stenson, uh, who lost his Ryder Cup captaincy uh, for the Euros, uh, came out. He hasn't been he hasn't been playing well. He hasn't he hasn't won anything in a while. Um, he won. <laughs> he, he dominated um, live golf from Bedminster. So you know maybe the competition is what the critics have. Uh, uh, argued it is. PGA did have a big announcement though, PGA Tour that is, and they have significantly upped their money. And listen, this is a response to live. They they have to make some of these moves. Uh, but uh, they announced that the schedule is going to be 47 tournaments, um, uh, $430 million in prize money, and then another $145 million uh, in bonuses uh, available to players. So that's a significant increase. They still know they can't touch what Liv is throwing out, at least right now. Uh, but this is a huge jump up. Uh, schedule's tough. Uh, I think some some players are still kind of having a hard time with the, uh, with the schedule, and that's one of the complaints they'll do. So we'll see if further changes come. But um, the PGA Tour is, uh, is not sitting by idly. Uh, they obviously have to try to defend because this idea that this is a tour that people can play on both when Liv is announcing fuller schedules and this kind of constant onslaught um, uh, media uh, attack, uh, I obviously the PGA Tour can't can't sit by. But, you know, it's tough to compete when money is not a thing and profitability is not a thing. But e- even the Saudi investment fund or the sovereign investment fund, whatever it's called, right, Saudi money is going to have to make decisions because they have investors who expect a return on their investment. Um, and at some point, they're going to have to determine whether or not it makes sense from a business perspective. And we've said it before. I, I, I just look forward to the day where we don't have to talk about lift golf, right? where we can talk about important things like pickleball. Well, you know, pickleball has been on my list. You know, we get to what we get to um, in this, you know, tightly scripted show. Um <laughs> But pickleball is going to have to be discussed, by the way. The ownership interests are just too significant at this point. I guess we're talking about it now. Yeah, and they should be thankful we are. <laughs> you tell Drew Brees that. I mean, he's one of the new investors. That, yeah, that guy, he'll he'll go to an opening of an envelope right now if they pay him. <laughs> he's all over everything. Wow. I've never heard anyone knock Drew Brees at anything. Uh, nice guy, right? But come on, he's good quarterback. He living his bet life. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's uh, about uh, all we can cover now. As uh, as uh, we wait to welcome in a guest uh, that we're really looking forward to, and we will be back with you soon. It's time for our guest. We're back, and uh, as the saying goes, you should never ask the person who signs your paycheck. Too many questions. So I'm really happy that I get direct deposit because our next guest is <laughs> Tom Mazzone, founder and CEO of Sweet, an NFT platform and marketplace that allows brands and consumers to collect, sell, buy, trade NFTs and other digital collectibles. In the interest of full disclosure, I, I work for Tom and, and for Sweet. So Tom, welcome and thanks for joining us. 
Tim and David, thank you. Uh, I'm a fan of the podcast, and it's it's great thank to be you. here. It's exciting. Thank you. So we were talking to people who listen to the podcast and and friends of ours who know we do the podcast, and and I think David and I both heard the same thing when we said that we were going to have you coming on to talk about NFTs. There was a lot of excitement because you know. Uh, Primarily because most of the people I hang out with don't understand what NFTs are. Uh, David has smarter friends than I do. But uh, but let's let's start with the basics. What is an NFT? Yeah, it's a it's a really good question. In fact, I was uh, two weeks ago down in D.C. with the NHL and a lot of the team owners and presidents, and um, this question was asked. Right, everyone wants to know like what's the basic premise here. And I like to remind people. So I started my first tech company in the mid '90s. And if you can believe it, just a few years before that, people were asking what a website was, right? Like, how do you describe a website? And I know that sounds crazy, um, but I'm sharing that to give hope to everybody that doesn't understand what an NFT is, because I think we all know what websites are. But back then they were called digital brochures because you couldn't even explain it. It's like, you know that brochure, that paper brochure? Well, there's a digital version that you can go visit right now. Um, but, you know, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding with NFTs. People like to think of NFT or non-fungible token as the collectible, but it's not really the collectible. It's not the media, right? It's not the actual thing that you're excited to hold and spin around, right, in your wallet. The NFT is really a signature. It's, it's like a receipt. So imagine if I went into Dick's Sporting Goods and bought a pair of sneakers, right? The sneakers aren't the NFT. It's the receipt that I got. And what does that receipt do? It proves that I actually bought them. It proves that I own them, right? Um, and so N NFT technology is pretty phenomenal. It's just leveraging blockchain to create a digital receipt or a digital signature that proves that you actually own digital media, right? So when you see a collectible, whether it's a piece of art, whether it's a Cleveland Cavs you know, jacket, digital jacket, that's technically not the NFT. That's the media that the NFT points to, right? So think of, think of non-fungible tokens or the technology as a really cool digital signature and way to uh, validate ownership of media. And what does that do? It, it opens up all kinds of really cool applications. So the idea that sports cards can go to digital and you can truly say, hey, I really own this one and it's really one of a kind, thanks to this non-fungible token right signature that's that's tied to that media. So hopefully, hopefully you're not more confused. No, no, no. That, that's all very helpful. And it's exciting for us to talk about uh, you know, on the show, we've had a lot of executives from from properties and uh, and brand people uh, and media people and so forth. And um, you know, we've had a last week. We took on a very important technology, streaming technology, that's helping define where we go as an industry. And we certainly feel that uh, the NFT space is one as well. So it's exciting to be able to have this perspective that brings the technology into this as well, and things that are shaping the future of uh, of, of the sports business. On that note, as you you know, when you look at a, a sports property, league, team, whatever, why is it important for that property to make sure they have a strategy as they go into the NFT business? If they decide they want to be in the NFT business, which it seems like people do, um, why do they need to think it through and have a strategy before they start minting tokens? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a really good question, and it's a it's a question that comes up daily, right? As we activate teams and, and brands and, and now leagues, right? And so. Um, the answer I would give is that you need a strategy because the technology can drive a lot of different brand initiatives, right? Years ago, you know, 24 months ago, NFT technology was really looked at 
as a means of transforming digital art, right? So we all know about the Beeple drop, mm -hmm. right? That's sold for $69 million, whatever it was. The technology is now in a place where if you're a team or a, a league, right, uh, you can use NFT technology to drive consumer engagement to foster deeper relationships with your fans, to put more put more butts in seats and drive ticket sales, right? And so that doesn't just happen in a blink. That requires really mapping out a cohesive journey for the consumer. And one of the things we do well at Suite is anytime any brand calls us, we don't just jump into, okay, let's, let's get you live. The first thing we do is what are you trying to achieve? Right. And the question I always like to ask is 12 months out. Okay. We launched you guys 12 months out. You look back at the previous 12 months, what would define unmistakable success in your minds? Well, we want to know who our fans are more, or we want to engage our fans, or we want to sell more tickets, right? Or maybe it's all of the above, or we want to drive more revenue. Um, and so really, really important that that takes time, right? And you can't believe how many multi-billion dollar companies will call suite. They're like, oh, we got to get live like next Friday, right? What can, what can we do? And we're like, we can get you live, but we promise you that's not the best strategy, right? Um, you have to take your consumers on a journey and really start to leverage the technology to check off very important brand initiatives. And, and that, that, that takes planning. I do want to say and interject here, and we do this on the show from time to time. Uh, when someone asks, when you, when someone says, a guest says that was a, a great question. I do need to credit Tim on that. Yes, <laughs> he, he shaped cause he knows this industry, obviously. Sure. A little, a little better. I will say I, you know, I massaged it a little and, you know, gave it a lot of texture. So I think I improved <laughs> upon it. So you made it a better question. Yeah. <laughs> Teamwork makes a dream work. <laughs> so, so Tom, you, you, you mentioned earlier being down with the NHL at the club meetings and you alluded to working with leagues, but last month, Sweet made really big news, right? By, uh, with the NHL announcement, what, what can you share with our audience about Sweet's partnership with the NHL? Yeah. So first thing I'll share was 15 months in the making, right? And from what I've heard, there were about 70 applicants that really tried to get this deal. Um, so very proud of the team at Sweet and all the work that went into getting the getting the deal. Um, you know, I'll say I remember the very first call we had with the NHL and I was blown away and impressed by their initial vision. And they've stayed very anchored to that vision since day one, which is um, over and over and over ha hammering home this concept of fan first, right? Wanting to be different, wanting to put the fan um, experience as the most important aspect, right? It wasn't about revenue. It wasn't about data. It was like, how do we make a very fun, compelling consumer experience where they can experience the league that they love at a whole new level? And to their credit, right, they understood some of the, some of the big hurdles that we had to knock over to make that happen. So for example, um, you see other leagues and programs that are really watered down in the types of IP that can be turned into NFTs, right? Because you don't have all the rights. Um, so in this particular deal, we are able to do a deal with the NHL, the Alumni Association, right? And the Players Association. That is fan first and the team arts, right? And so what do I, what do I mean there? Why is that fan first? Well, it means you can see that Gretzky moment, right? In its full glory. You could uh, bring a collectible or a player into the ecosystem and that player could be wearing the actual jersey. Right? You see some of these crazy NFT drops and it's like, 
it's an athlete I absolutely love, but why is he wearing like a white t-shirt? <laughs> why is he not in the uniform? Why is he not like wearing the helmet? And so the, it started with making sure all the anchor tenant um, parties were involved, right? And so to bring all that together into, into a common deal, um, phenomenal for the fans. So we, we have uh, historic video moments, highlights, right? Think of NBA Top Shot, NFL all day. Um, we have all that current season, historical season, um, and uh, collectibles on top of it. And so when you bring all that together, you can create really, really compelling consumer experiences around unwrapping packs, and in our case, blocks of ice that are gonna break open and reveal really cool video moments, gamification, questing, IRL, and even extension in the metaverse, right? So what does it mean to, to own one of these things and what value does it bring me not only in real in real world or real life but also in 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 blockchain games and metaverse experiences so it's a very very comprehensive program like i said 15 months in the making we're in deep 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 development right now and i'm with the nhl really daily at this point and the pa and the alumni and uh we can't wait to we can't wait to just reveal this to the world because it's it's, it's going to be awesome yeah, that's exciting. I think a lot to look forward to there. And I imagine a ton of work is going into it. What other things are out there that you see either a sports property or brand that has just done really, really cool things with NFTs as a way to help people even get a stronger understanding of what this marketplace is all about? Yeah, I mean, there's there's been some really phenomenal um, uh, uses of the technology, right? And I, I promise I'm not going to use sweet examples as all the examples. Uh, but I'll give you one that we did with uh, an F1 team, McLaren Racing. So instead of just selling, you know, I don't know, historical digital collectibles, right, or maybe marks or things like that, we took a uh, F1 car and we broke it into a collection experience. So we, we 3D modeled 22 parts of an F1 car. So super educational, right, for starters, right, because as you own this piece, you can spin it around. Like, I never got up that up, up, up close to like a steering, like a, an F1 steering wheel really, really educational to just own that and spin it around, but then put that into a collection game where people were racing to collect all 22 parts to unlock an F1 car mm -hmm. NFT and get them actual experiences at an F1 event in 2022. Right? So we love that. We like to say, you know, it kind of gets the consumer into why to collect, not how to collect. Like, why do I want to be in this journey or on this journey? I'll show you another, I'll, I'll mention another one just like I read about recently, which is Nike. Um, and this is not on suite to be clear, but Nike selling digital like NFT versions of sneakers. Okay. And for, if you, if you're able to buy one of these, they hold in a warehouse, the physical twin of that NFT sneaker. And think about how cool that is, right? I could now go sell in a, in a secondary market sneakers that I've never actually taken possession of, right, in the form of a digital format. So you can create like these secondary transactions in volume, and you've got this matched pair, um, and that 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 token acts as an authentic like an authenticity step not only for the actual NFT but for those sneakers that are sitting in the warehouse. So really really cool use cases, and we're seeing the technology push really far. I'll mention one other quickly. Um, we did a program with Burger King where we, uh, we put QR codes on 6 million meal boxes and we delivered uh, NFTs as the toy in the box, right? Think about that. You know, sometimes NFTs take, you know, take some heat on, uh, it's not green, is it bad for the environment? Think about putting 6 million plastic toys in, in meal boxes, right? 
of many of which aren't bought many of which like end up like you know if, if you're like my kids like in a, in a junk drawer somewhere right um so we we're able to efficiently sort of just in time deliver a collectible right to users that bought, bought the meal box and then we took it a step further we put them in a gamified completion sets where if you wanted to get into the experience you could try to find the three pieces that would unlock a fourth piece and that fourth piece had really cool utility like whoppers for a year or another really cool 3d model right that is pushing the technology and without blockchain and nft technology that'd be really hard to do and authenticate we hear the term metaverse a lot right it's sort of this year's version of nft so so when people say metaverse i let me let me rephrase that question what should people think of when they hear the term metaverse what does it actually mean and what does it mean for the for the for the uh, consumer journey for the fan journey yeah it's, it's a good question and uh, I, I gotta just say this because it's it's kind of funny but like a few years ago the buzzword was machine learning right <laughs> like mm -hmm. machine learning in vr right in ai my jaw hits the floor when i see all these linkedin profiles you cannot find a linkedin profile where someone's not talking about web like they don't do web3 or metaverse it's like <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's pretty pretty amazing right to me like metaverse is a really broad term and it's got you know, it can mean a lot of different things to different people, but I'll try to characterize it how I think about it. I think about a metaverse as a digital world, okay, that you can enter into in a 3D environment, but also have ownership and rights to content, right? And the way I like to explain it is my kids play Fortnite, too much Fortnite. And my <laughs> one son in particular, like, I'd be embarrassed to tell you how much money we've probably spent on skins over the years. But if he were to go delete his account delete his epic games account right it's all gone it's all gone so what i love about this metaverse concept not only can you can you run immersive virtual experiences concerts events games right where you show up as an avatar but you could bring this concept of ownership into it so when i show up in my in my rangers jersey in the metaverse experience right you could click on that 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 Ranger jersey and using NFT technology, see that, wow, that's actually been issued by the New York Rangers and Tom Azone owns token number 45 of that jersey. And so you can kind of trick out what you own. You can buy parcels of land in the metaverse, right? And so think of it as a 3D environment and there's different competing environments, right? Um, and hopefully someday a standard is written where like it, you can sort of jump from environment to environment in a, in a standards-based way. But there's different environments, but think of it as a place where you can go as a digital avatar, experience concerts, events, bump into people, interact, dance, um, and also uh, like have this concept of, of, of rights and ownership within those worlds. So look into the future, five, 10 years. How do you expect or how do you hope to see uh, NFT in the sports world uh, evolving? Yeah, I'm going to go back to like circa 1996, right? So you know, when, when these crude websites were up and we all thought we were like hot stuff, right? Surf, surfing the web. We couldn't even envision, like we thought we had arrived and we were all on like the five yard line, right? And so that's where I believe we are right now. We're in the digital brochure age of, of NFTs and the technology is gonna continue to, to evolve. And I think there's implications that maybe we haven't even conceived yet, but like the idea of like metadata that can that can change, right? based on game day stats, right? So 
um, you, you you can't wait to, to look at your your NFT poster or art because your team won and what did it turn into and what did it blossom into? So evolving metadata, I think you're going to see uh, more investment in metaverse experiences, uh, the ability to go to an event in the metaverse and maybe even have that event tied into real time data. Right. So you're actually watching the game. You're seeing the puck move right as it's really moving on the ice or you're seeing the ball getting thrown down the field. But maybe you've got some unique angles or, or, or places that you can view and a unique aspect to that experience. So I think you're going to see a, a big lean into NFT technology to drive uh, initiatives of these teams and then a, a big investment in metaverse experiences to engage your consumers in ways that we probably didn't even think were possible, you know, even even 12 months ago. Exciting time for Very sure. Cool. And I'm just really glad to be playing a part in it. So before we let you go, Tom, we, we have one question that we like to ask all our guests. Um, I think coming from somebody like you who's had so much success and as an entrepreneur will be particularly helpful. But what's uh, what's one piece of advice you have for somebody young looking to break into business, whether it's the sports industry, the tech business or, or whatever? Yeah, I, I'll say, uh, number one, I'm going to give a couple, but number one, don't be afraid to fail, right? Because uh, it's hard, right? When, when, you, when you say, I'm going to leave this very comfortable role and I'm going to try to become an entrepreneur or I'm going to try to pioneer something new, um, you know, all you have to do is look, look back in, in history. And I don't care if you're looking at presidents or you know, Thomas Edison or anybody that pioneered new ground, right? There was a lot of failures first before they had success. So the, the ability to say, you know what, if it, you know, I'm, I'm going to take a risk and I know it's going to be hard and I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to pick myself back up and keep going. That, that would be number one. Right behind that is always keep your ear to the ground, right? Because my experience from my very first company all the way to suite is that you don't always thread the needle on the initial idea. Okay. Sometimes you're dancing around it. And it's, it's the stubborn people that say the first idea is the idea that has to work or people that end up like not, not getting it done. Right. So be nimble and take the core components and don't be afraid to, I call it a micro pivot, right. Where don't be afraid to turn a couple degrees to uh, ensure that you're, you're, you're keeping this thing on the, on, on the track and you're going after the biggest opportunity. Um, and I can, I can give you, all, all the companies that I've been involved with, even an exotic car company that I started in, in Chester, New Jersey, it was a, it was a car club where we, you know, we set up a, a lounge and people could come and like, we would, we would flatbed a, like a, an Aston Martin or Ferrari to their house. That was the first idea. And then we realized, you know, a better idea was to do driving tours. And then we realized, you know what, the best idea was to move the whole thing to Vegas and build a racetrack on a 90 acre parcel. And that's ultimately the, the model that, that, that took off. Right. And it's still running. It's called Speed Vegas. Um, so I, I would say, don't be afraid to fail. Number one and number two, always, always um, be willing to kind of bob and weave, right, based on on opportunity, what you're seeing in the marketplace. Great advice. Terrific. Tom, can't thank you enough for joining us. I know how busy your schedule is. I I see your Google Calendar. So uh, <laughs> so so thank you. Great guys, Thanks, really Tom. appreciate it. Yep, thank you so much. Honor to be on. Well, that was a really fun discussion with Tom Mazzone. I have to tell you, Tim, I think I got my creative juices flowing. Lots of lots of great opportunities in front of 
um, for properties and, and brands and any sort of concept developers and uh, content creators. Just really exciting times we're living in. So thank you so much to Tom for joining us. I can't tell you how excited I still am, you know, a month into the job, just getting up every morning and, you know, thinking about this space and talking to rights holders and other content creators. It's, it's so much fun. Uh, that's great. I can see why you're excited about it. Well, this is the time of the show where we take a quick look ahead to see what we may have our eye on. Tim, what uh, what do you got this week? Well, as I'm looking at my clock right now, there's about just a little more than three and a half hours left to the MLB trading deadline. And there's already been some really big deals, um, you know, be- shortly before we came on air, the Padres announced that they got Juan Soto from the Nationals, one of the biggest trades in Major League Baseball history, and the Padres in a in an arms race with the uh, with the Los Angeles Dodgers. So it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next few hours. Who sits still? Who's a buyer? Who's a seller? And what that means for the next uh, you know two plus months of regular season and then going into the playoffs. Yeah, it's a great time for the for the hardcores, especially because it does seem like there's going to be some uh, a little shifting in in terms of the power base uh, here. So we will see. It's hard to believe, but Premier League is about to fire up again this weekend. So, uh, I mean, it just ended, no? Yeah. Um, so I'm looking forward as, as, a, as a Liverpool uh, FC fan to the opening match uh, as they will visit London and Craven Cottage to take on Fulham uh, to get this year's campaign uh, off. It's going to be another great season. I have every anticipation. Uh, a, two, a couple other quick shout-outs, too. I, I want to do a thank you to... Fordham University's radio station. We've mentioned them on this show several times, WFUV, because they actually ran the song that we use on this show as our theme song. It's a song called In Your Dreams. Um, and they uh, ran it on their New York Slice program uh, yesterday, Monday. So that was that was really neat, I had to say. It was, it was fun to sit there and listen to um, the DJ, Elise uh, Ali, who's fantastic. If you don't listen to this uh, station you should on occasion it's wfuv uh, you can find them at wfuv.org i also don't want to do a quick shout out to brett frude um, who is taking on the role of commissioner of the national cross league from his role as president of stuart haas racing uh, he was a star collegiate uh, player at brown and he has super passion for lacrosse so we said this was a, a job that he couldn't uh, uh, pass up and it was a position that's been vacant since jessica berman uh, left to take uh, the role as commissioner of the NWSL. Brett's a, a, a good guy. I've had the opportunity to do a deal with him in the past for Tony Stewart and uh, was was great to deal with. So we wish him well on his new venture. So that wraps another show. Again, and thanks to Tom Mazzone. Of course, thanks to you, Tim, for the partner in this, our 30th episode. Um, hard to believe sometimes. Uh, and obviously, a big thanks to our listeners uh, we really do appreciate, as we as we say often, but it uh, we really do. We appreciate the fact that you listen and you ask us questions and you give us ideas on guests. We really do appreciate it all uh, and take it to heart. So keep engaging with us in any way that uh, that you see fit. Um, we'll keep bringing you a show. We look forward to talking to you again next week. Until then, I'm DP. He's McGee. We'll talk soon.